0: I'm Pastor Ian. I'm the youth and family pastor here, and I think this is the first Sunday that I'm here that I'm not just completely drenched in sweat. So I'm super happy for the cold weather, and hopefully you guys are, are too. Um, wanted to just take a minute and thank you all for those who have been giving. Um, we, we really appreciate it. Um, you can give online. You can text. Or um, one thing that I didn't know about until last week was out in the back we have some... Uh, just uh, the the normal bowls that we usually use for offering, and you can give there, so we want to thank you for being here on this um, Sunday, and uh, thank you for worshiping with us if you 're online facebook um, yeah so i 'm going to turn it back over to the worship team, and we 're going to keep worshiping. Thank you.
1: Would you stand with us as we continue to sing?
0: Father, we're reminded by the words of that song we just sang how, how much you love us, how much you care for us, how there's nothing you won't do to display your love to us. And God, I just, for myself, all of us gathered here this morning like, give us a moment to, to rest and remember that truth that there is nothing you won't do to display your love to us and we're thankful for that, that you love us and you care for us and I pray we'll hear from your word this morning that that your love for us will compel us. It'll motivate us. It'll move us to display love towards one another. And as we think about the state of our world and where it's at, and um, just all that's going on with the pandemic, with race relations with all these thank God we reminded that you are a sovereign God who is in control who has a plan we pray that you would show us you would teach us how to live in a way that glorifies you in light of that plan And we pray for people around the world who are ministering your gospel in various contexts in various countries and in various circumstances who are dealing with harder things than many of us can even imagine, pray that you would assure them of your love for them, that you would assure them of your goodness, that they would feel this morning and if they go about their work just an amazing love for you and it would motivate them to do the work you have called them to do. God, we pray for those in this church family who are... Dealing with the effects of living in a fallen and broken world, whether that's sickness or injury or the loss of loved ones. Pray that you would bring peace, you would bring comfort, that you would remind us time and again that we live in a world that though it's not right now, that the sin still has a foothold now, that there are coming a day when you will set all things right, that you will You will come again. You will defeat sin. You will defeat death. Ultimately, we will live in the new heavens and the new earth where we can perfectly experience Your love for us day in and day out with nothing standing in the way. We look forward to that day. And until that day comes, help us to live the life You have called us to live in a way that glorifies You. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. So we're going to be in First John chapter 3 this morning, so if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. If not, the word will be on the screen in a minute as well. And while you turn there, let me tell you one quick story. In his book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, the doctor Paul Brand tells the story of the famed anthropologist Margaret Mead and she gave a lecture in which she asked the question, like, what is the earliest sign of civilization? Like, what does an anthropologist look for? If they're digging through ruins that might make them say, like, a civilization lived here. And like, Most people might answer that question by you know, saying something like, oh, they found clay pots, or they found iron tools, or they found like, evidence of agriculture. But Mead says for her it was none of those things. According to Brand, to Mead, evidence of the earliest true civilization was a healed femur, a leg bone. And now you may ask, why did the femur show evidence of the first civilization? And this is what Brand quotes Mead as saying. She says, the healed femur showed that someone must have cared for the injured person hunted on his behalf, brought him food, and served him at personal sacrifice. There's an article in Forbes talking about this idea, and they expanded on it saying this, In societies, without the benefit of modern medicine, it takes about six weeks of rest for a fractured femur to heal. In the animal kingdom, if you break your leg, you die. You cannot run from danger, you cannot drink or hunt for food, Wounded in this way, you are meat for your predators. No creature survives a broken leg long enough for the bone to heal. You are eaten first. A broken femur that has healed is evidence that another person has taken time to stay with the fallen, has bound up the wound, has carried the person to safety, and has tended them through recovery. A healed femur indicates that someone has helped a fellow human Rather than abandoning them to save their own life and now for the record, I want to tell you that I first heard that story on a podcast in which the podcaster point with that he didn't think the story was true. so just let that be said like I'm not claiming that story is true, but whether or not it's true like for our purposes this morning, like whether Margaret Mead actually said those words or not is not really the point. like the bigger point is that this story illustrates true or not that one of the defining marks of humanity is an ability to sacrificially love one another. But while we're capable of choosing to live and love others in a self-sacrificial way, the fact is we don't always, maybe even don't often, make that choice. In fact, even many actions that look like love for somebody else are really motivated by my selfish desires. Because of our Sinfulness because of our inherent selfishness. Like, we're self centered and we rarely choose to show love for other people in a way that doesn't also benefit us. And in fact, in our passage this morning, what we'll see is that the ability to actively and repeatedly love someone when it personally costs you something is a gift of the Holy Spirit and a sign that you are a true Christian. Like, your ability to sacrificially love another should assure you that you have a genuine faith in Jesus. And to see that, let's go to our passage this morning. So we're in 1 John, chapter 3. We're going to read verses 11 through 24. John writes, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with word or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our heart at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him every, anything we ask because we keep His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. The one who keeps God the one who keeps God's commands, lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. Now sometimes, when you read the Bible, it can take a little work to figure out what the main idea of a given passage is. It can be a little bit hard to figure out what the author is trying to communicate to us. Even Peter, in 2 Peter 3.16, says of Paul's writings, right? He says, His letter contains some things that are hard to understand. Sometimes it takes a little work to understand the logic the author is using. Sometimes we need, as best we can, to go back in time and try to understand the context that the author is writing into. Sometimes there are questions about the right way to interpret the Greek or the Hebrew in that passage. Again, taking take in the time to carefully understand what the author is trying to communicate can be hard work at times. But then right, there are passages like this. Right? John says in the very first words of the passage, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Right? There's nothing complex, there's nothing complicated about that. Like plain and simple, John's point is we as brothers and sisters in Christ should love one another. If we wanted to expand on that idea a little bit, he says, like you should love one another sacrificially and actively as evidence of your salvation. You should love one another actively and sacrificially as evidence of our salvation. And so, in the rest of our time this morning, I just want to take some time to think about what does it look like to love one another actively? What does it look like to love one another sacrificially? And what does it mean to love one another as evidence of your salvation? So the first thing John tells us about loving one another is that love for one another should be sacrificial. Our love for one another should not be motivated by like, how it benefits us, but how it shows love to the other person. And I show us this, John gives us two examples. He gives us first a negative example of what this did not look like, and then he gives us a positive example of what it looks like to love in a way that is purely self-sacrificial and self-giving. So we see the negative example first in verse 12. John writes, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. The ultimate example of what it does not look like to love a brother or a sister is Cain, who literally murdered his brother out of jealousy. Like You can't get much further from loving your brother than that. Right? And we see the fuller story of Cain and his brother Abel in Genesis 4, 3-8. This is what it says. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from, from, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not, if you do, not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It's desire, it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother, Abel, like, Let's go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So Cain and Abel, they both bring sacrifices to God. And God is pleased with Abel's sacrifice, but he rejects Cain's sacrifice. So Cain gets jealous of Abel, and he murders him. And so there are, there's really two ways that Cain's not being loving here. His first offense is that he's not being loving towards God. The author of Genesis goes out of his way to tell us that Abel's offering, it was fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock, right? Abel brought the best of the best. But Cain, right, the author just says, he brought some of the fruits of the soil. Abel brought the best of the best sacrifice to God, but Cain didn't. Like, Abel's sacrifice was self-sacrificial. It cost him something. It cost him the best of his herd. But, but Cain was just going through the motions. Right? He brought the bare minimum, hoping to appease God without costing himself too much. So Cain's first lack of love was directed towards God. Cain didn't love God enough to bring a sacrifice that was truly self-sacrificial. But notice, like, Cain's lack of love towards God played itself out then in his inability to love his brother. Abel isn't trying to show up, Cain, by bringing some extra extravagant sacrifice. Like, Abel was trying to do what he thought was right. Cain had no reason to be mad at Abel. It was totally irrational. Being mad at Abel wasn't going to make God accept his sacrifice. It made no sense. But that's the way sin is. It doesn't make sense. We can know that the long-term costs of our sin are far greater than whatever momentary joy our wrongdoing may bring us. But we still choose to do it. And that's what Cain chose. Right? He chose the irrational sin instead of repenting and turning to God. Right? But he still, even after the sacrifices, still had a choice in how he responded. Right? After the sacrifice, after Cain's sacrifice is rejected, and Cain's upset, God says to him, like, why are you angry? Why is your faith downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Cain could still make the choice, even after the sacrifice, to do the right thing by loving his brother. If he had made that choice, if he had chosen to love Abel, then he wouldn't have been angry with his brother. He would have celebrated with him that his sacrifice was accepted. Because that's what love does. Love says, I desire your success more than my success. Even if it means I have to give up something in order to see you succeed. But that's not the choice Cain made. He chose not to be sacrificial in his love for God when he brought him an inadequate sacrifice. And he chose not to be sacrificial in his love for his brother when he was unwilling to sacrifice his wounded pride in order to celebrate with his brother. Cain chose hate over love and it led him to murder his brother. But notice, John here in this passage says that anytime time we hate, Even if we don't actually kill the person, we're already a murderer. In verse 15 he says, Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in them. And Jesus says much the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, You have heard that it was said to people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Like, so Cain is the ultimate negative example, right? He is the the counterexample of what it looks like to love someone sacrificially. But just because you don't murder someone doesn't mean you're off the hook for not loving them. John and Jesus both make clear that if you hate or you're angry with a brother or a sister, like you are a murderer. And you are subject to judgment. And like, can I just submit that especially during the pandemic, people try to process what the proper response is? Like, people on both sides of the issue, right? People who claim the name of Christ on both sides of the issue have displayed actions that look a lot more like anger and hate than love. Right? And the way we respond, right? John tells us that like, it doesn't matter whether you think you're right or you're wrong, right? To respond with anger or hate is equivalent, according to John, to murder. So if we're going to be faithful to what the Bible tells us how we treat one another, like we need to think through how we respond to one another when we disagree on an issue. And I think from what I see online, like there's a lot of room for growth from people, again, on both sides who claim the name of Christ. But we need more than just counter We need more than just to see Cain and say, don't do that. We also need positive examples of what it looks like to love somebody else sacrificially. And that's just what we find in Jesus. In verse 16 we read, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we have to lay down our life for our brothers and sisters. Jesus' death on the cross on our behalf, so that our sins can be forgiven, is the ultimate demonstration of love. John says, it is how we know what love is. Looking at Jesus and what he did on the cross, it's how we know what love is. And because we have seen and experienced love in Jesus, we ought to be willing to lay down our life for those that we love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So my, my wife Vanessa and I started dating in college and she was the first person I had ever dated. Right? So the whole thing was kind of a, a new experience for me. And so like, I got kind of figured things out as I went. And after a few months of dating, like things were going pretty well and I realized like one of the things I need to figure out is like, what does it mean to say I love you? And like how will I know I'm ready to say that? And so I thought about that for a while. And the conclusion I came to was reflected in this verse. Like I decided when I was that when I was confident that I would freely die for Vanessa, like that's when I would know that I loved her. When I knew that I would rather die to save her than live without her, that's when I knew that I loved her. And so I asked myself the question, like, would I die for Vanessa? Right? And eventually Like I was sure that I would, and so I told her I loved her. And the same thing is true today. I would die for my wife. I would die for my kids. Like I know that deep in my bones, not a doubt in my body. Like I would die for them. I know that. I love them, and because I love them, I would gladly make the ultimate sacrifice for them. And that's the type of love that John says we should have for all our brothers and sisters in Christ. That we have to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. We have to be able to die for our fellow Christians. But if I can like, be honest for a second, like, I'm not sure I'm always there. Like, I know, like I said, I would die for my wife. I know I would die for my kids. And I'm pretty sure I would lay down my life for my close friends. I like to think that I would lay down my life for any of you, or for any brother or sister in Christ. But like, if I honestly examine my heart, like I know there are hours and days and weeks and seasons where like, I know I'm battling selfishness. And I know that selfishness is winning. And if push came to shove in those moments, like, I'm not going to choose between saving my own life and saving the life of a Christian that I don't really know who isn't a close family member or friend. Like, like I know in my heart of hearts there are times that I would choose to save myself. Like, God is still at work in me here to remove selfishness, to transform me into a person who would unhesitatingly lay down my life for my brothers and sisters. Which is why I'm thankful that God doesn't require perfection from me. That his demand for perfection was met in Jesus, who died for us. Not only to be an example of what love is, but also to take away the penalty for our sins. To take away the penalty for my failure to love one another perfectly. And not only did he die when we were his brothers and sisters, Romans 5.8 says, Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, while we were still his enemies. Jesus died for us. He showed his love for us while we were against him, while we were still in our sin. And it's because of that love that Jesus showed for us that we can begin to grow in how we love one another. So the idea of dying for someone seems daunting. Like, As something to grow in that area. And yet, sometimes loving sacrificially, even if it means dying for someone, it's easier than the next way that John called us to love one another, which is to love one another actively. And so if you ask me to love my wife by dying for her, like, that's an easy decision. Like Yes, I will do that in a moment's notice. Right? But if you ask me to love my wife by doing the dishes after supper, like, that's a tougher choice sometimes. I know I love my kids enough to die for them, but do I love them enough to play with them after supper when I'm tired and I just want to sit on the couch? That's a tougher choice sometimes. Sometimes it's easier to make the big gesture than the simple gesture. But in verses 17 and 18, we see that loving one another means actively loving through small gestures as well. John writes, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. It is relatively easy to say I would die for someone. Knowing that, first of all, that situation likely won't present itself and then, if it does, it's a one time deal. The far more challenging thing is to actively show love again and again, day after day, in all the little opportunities that present themselves. It's easy to say you love someone, but the lesson of this verse is that words are hollow unless they're accompanied by actions that prove them. So, the question this verse, this passage should prompt us to ask ourselves is like, where in my day-to-day life do I see brothers and sisters in need? Where do I have an opportunity to show love by meeting the needs of my fellow Christians out of my own abundance? As I see those needs, like, am I actively stepping in and striving to meet those needs? What opportunities do I have to love with action and with truth? And we live in a time and a place where we're blessed with relative material abundance. And so the opportunities to meet real material needs may be fewer than in John's time. And additionally, some of the the limits imposed by COVID mean that some of the ways we have typically loved each other are no longer an option. But there are still abundant opportunities to actively love and encourage one another. It might just require a little more creativity. Now, if you like, don't know where to start, our deaconesses put together a list of ideas, the ways that we can love and encourage one another in the midst of this pandemic. And the Lori emailed that out earlier this week. You should have gotten an email. If you didn't get that, feel free to reach out to the church office and we'll make sure you get that. And so like, I would challenge us to either look through that to come up with our own ideas. In the days ahead, like, do something. Pick something to intentionally and to sacrificially and to actively love a brother or a sister in this church body or a fellow Christian. It may be a sacrifice of time. It may mean sacrificing money. It may mean sacrificing convenience. But, like, I would encourage us, I would challenge us in the days ahead to do something very intentionally to show love to a fellow Christian. And so that's the challenge, but two qualifications I want to add to that challenge. First, some of you are already really good at loving others well. Right? And if that's you, like I'm not trying to guilt you into doing even more. Right? And so if you can look at your life and you can say, like, I think I do a good job loving others. Which, if that's a product of honest self-assessment, like, that's not prideful to say. Like, it's okay to say that if that's true. As long as it's rooted in, like, honest self-assessment. So if that's you, if you can look at your life and say, I think I do a good job loving others, right, then my goal is not to pressure you to do more. And the second caveat is that we need to be careful and remind ourselves that actively loving others is not a way to earn God's favor right, or to earn eternal life. Like doing acts of love to one another is not one of the requirements for getting into heaven. Rather, it's one of the ways that we know that we have already received eternal life. And that brings us to the last thing that John had to say about loving one another. Which is that we should love one another as evidence of our salvation. Verse 14, John says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other verse 19 says this, and when he says this, he means loving one another. Like, loving one another is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. And at the end of the passage in verse 24, the last word of the passage, he says, and this is how we know he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. And one of John's main reasons for writing this book as we've seen over and over again, is that his readers would feel assured of their salvation. That's the whole reason I've called this series Assured. And what John is saying here is that loving one another is a way for us to be assured that we have passed from death to life. Loving one another is a sign that we have trusted in Jesus. Because this kind of active and self-sacrificial love that John calls us to Cannot be self generated. That the only way to live the life of loving one another that that John calls us to in this passage is by having experienced the love of Jesus for us and by having the Holy Spirit come and live in us and enabling us to perform these acts. The only way the Holy Spirit comes and enables us to do these things is if we have trusted and believed that Jesus died in our place on our behalf that by believing in him, he gives us the Spirit. And so if you find ourselves doing truly self-sacrificial acts for brothers and sisters, like John said, you should be assured, you should be confident that you are truly a Christian. And when moments of doubt come, which they do for all of us, like, am I really saved? Am I truly believing in Jesus? Like, like we can look back through the years, that all the ways we have sacrificially and actively loved our brothers and sisters, that should give us confidence before God that we are truly saved. I feel like it's not hard to look around and to find people failing to love one another well. The language of politics and the language of the internet and the language of TV news is one of outrage and angst and anger. In no small part because being angry and outraged is what will get you attention in today's world. Right? Like, and especially in this time of COVID, right, when we're all adjusting to a new normal, like when circumstances are changing all the time, when there's a level of uncertainty and fear kind of undergirding everything. Right? We had that low-grade fear, that low-grade uncertainty, like it's easy to resort to anger when addressing people who disagree with us. We see it everywhere. Right? Facebook sees those video clips of people shouting at each other and stirred over wearing masks. Like we see it on the news. Like again, it can be disheartening, but it's also an opportunity. It's an opportunity as us, for us as Christians, to stand out. As anger and hate becomes more and more of the norm, act of love, especially act of active and sacrificial love will stand out as something different and inviting. We have the opportunity by living out the words of this passage, by loving one another well, by not being angry even when we disagree. We have the opportunity to be a witness to a hurting world that is looking for an alternative to all the anger and the angst they are experiencing. My hope my prayer is that we will embrace that opportunity and we will love one another well. Let's pray. Father, it can be challenging sometimes to even know the best way to love others. It can be challenging to know the proper response to difficult circumstances. But I do pray for each of us that as we encounter challenges, as we go about our day to day lives, that we think about how we treat other people, especially our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that our desire would be to love them. Not to win arguments, not to be right. Not to be like Cain, to show ourselves as better than our brother, but to love them. Jesus loved us by dying for us. And though we may not be called to physically die for a brother or a sister, pray that we would sacrificially love them by putting their needs ahead of our own, by considering them more important than ourselves. But that you would teach us, you would show us how to do that day in and day out. That you would give us creativity. That we would bless our fellow brothers and sisters through acts of love. That we would do it in a way that is not seeking to benefit ourselves, but is purely for the benefit of others. God, I pray that as we do all this, that the world would look at the church, the world would see, the church would see us as Christians living in this way. That there would be something compelling and hopeful and joy-giving in the love we display for one another. That people would be drawn to know more about you. People would be attuned to how you're working in our lives. That through our love for one another, it would open opportunities to have conversations about how you display the ultimate love for us by dying for us. So we'd be able to have fruitful gospel conversations with our brothers and sisters and those in the world who don't know you because of the way we've loved one another. God, help us, teach us, show us how to love each other well. God, Thank you that you forgive us because of Jesus when we fail to do it perfectly. And when we fail, we pray that we would return and we repent and we would turn back to you and ask you to help us. in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we prepare to depart, the word of 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14 seem especially appropriate Paul writes this. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. You're dismissed. Go in peace.